In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The name for this Sunday, as with all the Sundays in Lent, comes from the first line of our introit. Today is called Judica Sunday. As we sang, Judica means to judge. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. This word for judge is also well translated vindicate, as pretty much every modern translation will render it. Vindicate me, O God. To vindicate means to defend someone's honor by stepping in and setting the record straight. When someone tells you that you're doing it wrong and to let him do it for you because you'll never get it done the way you're trying to do it, and then snap, you get it done right then, even while you're being corrected by an overly nosy critic. You've all been there. That's vindication. You're vindicated. You were doing it right. Judge for yourself, you may say. Do you still think I was doing it wrong? So, you now know, if you didn't already, how to use the word vindicate. But what if there is no snap? What if the proof you need doesn't present itself at the perfect and most satisfying time, and your critic remains self-assured in his false and unfair and nagging judgment? Well, when someone cannot defend himself or clear himself from false accusations with present proof and testimony from others, he cries to God and asks him to get involved. He enlists God as a witness in his defense and asks God to vindicate him. In order to vindicate somebody, God has to hear the case and judge. Judge me, O God. This is to ask God to be the arbiter and final voice in the matter. Vindicate me, O God. This is what Judica means. The problem is this, though. No one who knows that he is actually guilty will dare enlist the all-knowing and all-righteous God to step in and judge. No one who suspects that the criticism or accusation he is receiving might actually have more than a grain of truth to it will dare ask God, who sees the intent and desires of the heart, to step in and judge. To ask God to vindicate you, to judge you, requires an awful lot of courage and confidence, if not chutzpah. You had better know how God will see the matter before you ask him to come in and scrutinize. Could there be a worse thing than to get up in arms in your own defense, to call God in as a witness, and then for God to tell you that you're wrong? The proverb is wise, which says, do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame, especially if God is on his side? For this reason, God forbids swearing in the second commandment. It is not an absolute prohibition. It is absolutely prohibited to take God's name in vain, of course. God will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. But 
Dr. Luther includes the command not to swear in his explanation in the small catechism since it is almost always done improperly. But it can be done correctly. If one is giving glory to God or serving the pursuit of justice or defending his neighbor, it may well be permitted or even required to swear. When you were confirmed, for instance, you swore to God that you would suffer everything, even death, rather than change your mind about what you learned in the catechism. Or that you would suffer all these, even death, rather than drift away from regularly, religiously attending church services. You swore with a vow to God and asked him to vindicate you by saying, I do, by the grace of God. To break one's confirmation vow is a terrible sin. By breaking the third commandment, one breaks also the second and the first. A witness swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. This also is asking God to vindicate him. Bear witness with me, O God, that I speak truly. This is what a vow is. The Eighth Commandment, which forbids gossiping and slandering and tearing down others behind their back, is first and foremost a command that forbids perjuring oneself under oath. When I vowed to be faithful to my wife unto, unto death, forsaking all others for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, etc., I was calling on God to bear witness to all the true intentions of my heart. The plainest meaning of the sixth commandment explicitly and most severely threatens those who swear falsely. And here, break such a sacred oath. With such weighty matters, swearing a vow certainly merits calling on God's name. Because they are weighty matters, guarded most diligently by God's commandments, however. They should not be taken lightly, as though it were a small thing to call on God to vindicate or judge. So also with frivolous matters, it only serves to mock God when his name is invoked. Jesus tells us not to swear on anything so lightly, but to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We should not call on God as a witness in order to verify silly things. We should not say lightly, I swear to God, or even, I swear. We should reserve such statements for when God commands us, or when asking God to bear witness is of real serious importance. Otherwise, God may well judge and tell you that you're doing it wrong. To take God's name in vain is a terrible sin. If the fourth commandment, which requires us to honor father and mother, is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long upon the earth, well then, the second commandment that defends the right use of God's name is the first commandment with a curse. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. For this reason, we ask God in the very first petition of the Lord's prayer to hallow his name among us. 
It is a grave sin to wrap God's name up in our own lies or in our own flighty whims. It is an even worse sin to teach false doctrine in God's name. This is what the Jews were accusing Jesus of in our gospel lesson this morning. They accused Jesus of being a Samaritan and of having a demon. Notice how Jesus doesn't even respond to the cheap shot about being a Samaritan. This is because the insult hardly really made any sense. They who mocked him for coming from Galilee and having no remarkable origins as a prophet knew full well that he wasn't a Samaritan. It was an insult intended to provoke. But Jesus was not provoked. As he was explaining to them, he did not seek his own honor. But there is one who seeks and judges. There is one who seeks Jesus' honor for him and who vindicates his son. And then consider how remarkable his next words are. Jesus follows by saying that whoever keeps his word shall never see death. Let's review again just this one response of Jesus. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Not only does Jesus not swear he's not a Samaritan, he doesn't even say he's not. He ignores it and cuts it to the, co- cuts to the core of the issue. And so should we when we are falsely mocked as being hateful or this or that by a culture, an ungodly nation that doesn't know even the beginning of what we truly teach and believe and hold most dearly. These are distractions intended to provoke. No, but Jesus cuts to the chase and denies having a demon, and so must we. He takes issue with this because the accusation that he has a demon is not a cheap shot. It is an accusation of being a liar of being a false teacher. They're accusing him of teaching false doctrine in the name of God, who doesn't hold guiltless those who take his name in vain. They're accusing him of a gross and wicked violation of the first commandment with a curse. But no, Jesus' doctrine is true. His doctrine is from God who sent him. His doctrine is what sets sinners free. Everything depends on his doctrine. Jesus has already said so right before our lesson began, these familiar and comforting words, which we all kind of know by heart. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When they go after Jesus' doctrine, they are going after his disciples. They're going after you for trusting Jesus' words and abiding in them. Jesus defends you. Jesus defends the words that free us from sin, death, and eternal judgment by insisting that the same words that free us are true words that honor the Father. They're words that wrap up the power and honor of God's holy name with our salvation. And here we see what it is that Jesus as much as prays the opening lines of our intro it. Jesus invokes God and calls on him to judge and vindicate him for speaking the truth. Judge me, O God. And plead my cause against an ungodly nation, his own nation. But there is one who seeks Jesus' honor. And he is the one who judges. But look, Jesus does not say that his father will vindicate him. He says that his father will vindicate anyone who keeps his word. 
It is not his own honor and life and cause that he is asking God to defend. Jesus is pleading our cause, the sinner's cause, the cause of him who is cursed, who is not guiltless, who has gossiped, who has committed adultery, who has lied. He's pleading our cause. He's pleading for us who have no other plea, who would otherwise be foolish and rightfully ashamed to ask God to stand and bear witness to anything that we could say to defend ourselves. By defending his pure doctrine, he is taking up our cause. And this is extremely important. Doctrine is not dry and dead. By defending his pure doctrine, the Son of God is taking up our cause. He is defending the right to have mercy on sinners, to forgive them their sins, to send them home in peace, uncondemned, but reconciled to their Father. Far from trying to seek his own honor or save his own life, Jesus is defending his right as our mediator of the New Testament. There is one who seeks Jesus' honor. He is the one who judges and vindicates. This is what Jesus says to what he follows, to which he follows, Amen, amen, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. This is remarkable. He calls on God to vindicate him, but he entirely shares his vindication with you and me. He calls on God to vindicate him, not to keep himself from seeing death, but to keep you and me from seeing death. As a matter of fact, he calls on God to vindicate him precisely in order that he might indeed taste death for us. Which of you convicts me of sin, he asks. Now with this question, Jesus isn't defending himself for his own sake. He is defending himself for our sake. He is telling the Jews to do what God commanded Moses to command the priests to do. The priests would examine every sheep and goat and calf and see whether it had any blemish or spot or anything at all wrong with it so that it might serve as a suitable sacrifice. When Jesus defended himself against the accusation of sin, there was no pride. There was mercy toward us. He was defending himself as the one who came to shed his blood as the fulfillment of all these animal sacrifices. He called on God to vindicate him not to keep himself from dying but to bear witness for all the world that he and he alone was worthy to die in our place. Jesus defends his doctrine. Everything depends on his doctrine. It is his truth that sets us free. Jesus came forth from the Father in order to bear witness of all that the Father would have us know and believe. More than that, since he was, of course, no mere prophet with a message to relate, since he was the very Son of God with life to give, Jesus didn't just come to explain more clearly what the law and the prophets left unclear. No, he came to fulfill all that they clearly foretold. He came to accomplish all that God had promised through them. That all who were born of God understood quite plainly and depended upon he came to be the true and final priest who would by his own blood make atonement for our sins. He was a tabernacle made without hands. The true tabernacle was his own holy body, born of Mary, his virgin mother. 
In his human flesh dwelt the whole Godhead bodily. He entered not the holy place in the center of the temple on earth, but the holy place in the highest heavens before the judgment of God. With his blood he made peace by bearing all human sin and all divine curse. And so he hallowed God's name by giving us his word to believe. He who was innocent and without blame or blemish, and who spoke God's word truly and purely and honored his father in life and death, he himself bore the curse of taking God's name in vain, the curse against breaking marriage vows, scorning lawful authority, and trashing one's own mother's son. Whatever curse there was against your sin and mine, and the sin of all scoffers and all your enemies, the sin of all fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals and blasphemers, whatever curse there ever was called down from heaven or sent down by God, which curses we agree with, even when we are guilty of them, God sent his Son into human flesh and blood to make full satisfaction for So when Jesus defends his doctrine, he's defending you. When he calls on God to vindicate him, he's calling on God to justify you. He's calling on God to defend this great truth that he is your mediator between you and the righteous judgment of God. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. You are appealing to Christ. When you ask God to vindicate you, you're asking God not to judge or see whether you have sin or not. Whether you have paid the, had, whether you've had the perfect motives or not, or, or to see whether there is any cause to condemn you, you know there is. This isn't your cause. No, your cause is the cause that Christ took up for you. When you call on God to vindicate you and to plead your cause, you're calling on God to bear witness that the gospel you rely on is true, that Jesus' words are true, that he really did die for you, and that God is really not mad at you because he has taken all judgment and placed it on Jesus. You're calling on God to send his spirit into your heart to bear witness with you that the Father is reconciled with you and at peace with you for the sake of the holy and innocent, bitter sufferings and death of his beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was vindicated when he was raised on Easter. So you claim his resurrection as your own. You claim your baptism that joined you to his death and glorious rising. By your baptism, you are born of God. And being born of God, you hear his word. You know the truth. You know the truth that Abraham trusted in, the truth that God would provide a lamb. Abraham saw this lamb by faith, by believing what you believe. The angel who called out of heaven and told him not to kill Isaac is himself the son of God, who would take the place of all sinners. Through Isaac, who was spared, he would one day assume our human flesh and blood to become the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. By pointing to Jesus as our substitute under the law and as our mediator before God, we are identifying him who speaks the truth, whose word is true, and whose truth sets us free. As we sang as a congregation just last week, I have not my God to offer, Save the blood of thy dear Son. Graciously accept the proffer, make his righteousness mine own. His holy life gave you, was crucified for me. His righteousness perfect, 
he now pleads before thee. His own robe of righteousness, my highest good, shall clothe me in glory through faith in his blood. It is in Christ alone that we are able to have the boldness and confidence and courage and certainty that we may call on God to vindicate us, to judge us. Search me, O God. Find any fault in me. See if you can find anything in my heart that Jesus did not suffer and die for. Find it for me. And I will praise Jesus for taking it away. See if this ungodly nation has any right to accuse me. See if I am wrong to trust in Jesus. In ourselves, we see much that, we, that, that can be condemned, and we confess that we are often doing it wrong. But when we ask God to vindicate us, we are not claiming our own righteousness, but the righteousness of our Savior Jesus. By claiming his word, we are claiming his intercession, his mediation. Vindicate me, O God, judge me. See my sin and condemn it, God, but see it laid on him who suffered and died to pay for it. Look and see if I entertain any hope to save myself, dear God. No, I look to Christ who did it right and did it for me. I look to the Lamb provided for me to spare me judgment. There I see judgment of all, world, all the world's iniquity. There I see freedom from all the world's scorn. And from there I cry in faith for full pardon. From him I expect mercy. On his body and blood I depend. For the sacrament he gives me to eat and to drink is your pledge, O God, of peace to me. And so I make all my vows in Jesus' name, trusting in his power and truth to save me. Let us pray. Jesus, in thy cross are centered all the marvels of thy grace. Thou, my Savior, once hast entered through thy blood the holy place. Thy sacrifice holy there wrought my redemption. From Satan's dominion I now have exemption. The way is now free to the Father's high throne, where I may approach him in thy name alone. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.